Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with 1989 National League MVP Kevin Mitchell. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today in the program, we sit down with the 1989 National League Most Valuable Player. He was a world champ as a part of the 86 Mets, and in 2008, San Francisco Giants added his name to their wall of fame. He was a teammate of mine early when I was a kid coming up in my career. Uh, this man could flat out hit. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Mitchell. Mitch, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, hey, hey Boney, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. You got it. You got it. All right. Right out of the gate. Kevin Mitchell, reputation. He's a tough guy. He's a scary guy. He's mean. But that's not the Mitch I know. When I was coming up as a rookie in 92, Mitch, you took me under your wing and you looked out for me. And, and I appreciated that. You know, that's a time we all we all have. When we're first getting into the big leagues, we're trying to fit in. Uh, and you have certain guys that kind of take care of you. Certain guys give you a hard time. But you were one of those guys that from the, from the get-go, I remember it and I appreciate it. Why'd you do that? Boney, you know what? I've seen the type of player that you became. You was aggressive and you loved swinging the bat. And I always loved the way you swung the bat, man. You, uh, you ain't up there looking for no walks. You was very aggressive. And, you know, that's what I loved about you a lot. All right, I want to hear about Kevin Mitchell growing up in San Diego. Uh, what was Mitch oh, like as a kid? Uh, Boney, uh, you know, I grew up in the inner city, southeast San Diego, right by Lincoln High School. Uh, a lot of gangs and, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff. I grew up hard times, you know, and, you know, my, my mama had to struggle a little bit, you know, I'm just thankful to be where I'm at right now, you know, so, uh, and I sort I try to preach to the kids that I work with, you know, that's coming up, you know, trying to play this game, any type of sports, anything that they wanted to do, you know, it's a struggle first, but you got to get there, you know, to be whoever you want to be. So, uh, I mean, I grew up in Southeast San Diego, like I said, and, uh, you know, I was around a lot of, you know, mishaps, you know, and stuff like that, shootings and stuff like that. But uh, like I said, I'm thankful to even be, you know, where I'm at right now at the age that I'm at. When did you decide that you wanted to play baseball? I know. I, I Well, I'm going to let you tell me, but I know high school, you went to several different high, you went to Bob Boone's high school at one point, Crawford High. And, uh, <laughs> Just give me Mitch as a kid growing up. Was there football? Was there baseball? When did you know it's baseball is what you wanted to do? Well, I didn't know it was baseball. You know, I always played the game and I always thought baseball was boring to me. I loved it, the game of football. My brothers then played basketball. You know, my brother Tommy that just passed away, he played basketball and baseball. And uh, my little brother's, uh, my little brother's six, seven, Andre. You know, he went to New Mexico State and got home sick and came back, uh, came back home just to take care of his uh, his daughter that he had just had. Now he's a working man now for the city of San Diego. And uh, my other little brother works for Cox Cable. And uh, I got another brother that just got out of the penitentiary. Donald, he had he was on that life term and he did uh, 
he got out on the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, the uh, that let everybody did, you know, the not a hard crime out. And my other brother D'Angelo, he just got out of penitentiary. He did ten years. So, but uh, you know, that's there, and this is now. So you know, so but uh, um, you know, we like I said, we grew up in inner city, and we had to do what we had to do to survive, you know, and. Uh, I was just one of the fortunate ones to come up and I had a lot of tools to play the game and I loved it football a lot. Wish I thank God that my grandmother was the, she was the, uh, the queen bee in my life that pointed me the way of baseball and, uh, told me it was going to be safer for me to go out there and play this game. And at the time that I was playing baseball, I was doing a lot of stuff in the streets. You know, I was, uh, you know, doing a lot of, robberies and uh you know it wasn't robbing stores and nothing like that it was just robbing other dope dealers so and it was something i had to do and and, uh, and i got drafted in the january draft and i needed to get out of san diego and end up signing a baseball contract with uh, new york mets Mitch, when you were your childhood, you say, man, it, it sounds and, and I've heard and we were teammates and, and we've talked about it, not at length, but but I kind of had an idea, uh, you know, what kind of upbringing you had. Not the perfect childhood. Like you said, you were in the streets, you were surviving. Yeah. Was there any was there anybody that pointed you away that said, you know, Mitch has got this talent, this baseball talent, and maybe it's his way out. Maybe it's his his ticket to a better life. Did anybody point in that direction or did it just kind of find you? I had a lot of guys that was trying to, you know, get me to play. And one guy, Daryl Denby and my, and who is my mentor is Floyd Robinson. You guys probably never heard of Floyd Robinson. Floyd played with the White Sox back in the olden days. And he's still a mentor to me right now. So it was always Floyd Robinson. So you sign, you sign with the Mets, you're 18 years old. You know, I went to, I went to college and, and man, when I was 18, I, I got drafted late and I ended up going to USC. Looking back on it, it's the best thing I ever did. You know, I was, I was far enough away from home, but I was close enough where mom could come do my laundry. <laughs> and, and I of felt course. like I had matured a little bit in three years. So, you know, we all think when we're 18, we're ready to go. We're ready to to, to light the world on fire. And I, I believe in Mitch, you know how I was as a kid. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm 18. I'm ready for the big leagues right now. Well, I had a lot of growing up to do. I had some maturing to do. And when I signed out of college, I got to the big leagues real quick, but at 18 coming from your background, getting thrown into the minor leagues. And I look your first year, you hit 335. your second year, you hit 318. So it's not like you, you went to the minor leagues and scuffled. You came out swinging but what kind of an adjustment was that f- for you going from San Diego in the childhood you had to minor league baseball? Oh, Boney, it was a big adjustment, man, because I never left, you know, I'd never been away from California, period, you know, especially Southeast San Diego. Never thought I was going to be get the opportunity to, to do this. And, uh, you know, my first year I did get there, my first year in spring training, I get into a fight with the first round pick, you know, and, I don't know the man. I just heard of a guy named Daryl Strawberry, you know, so I was ready to go home anyway after that. So, you know, I didn't know who I was fighting in, out on the basketball courts. 
But, uh, you know, and I thought I had left all that. You know, I'm in Florida, St. Pete, and I done left San Diego, and I thought I had left all, you know, the scuffling and, you know, getting dirty every Friday at the clubs, you know, at the little mo- at the skating ring and stuff like that, man. I thought I had left that at, at home, and you know, and I got a guy that's throwing Crenshaw Crip in my face. I mean, I thought I left all that banging and stuff at in, in San Diego, you know. But it went one thing another, and now you know we're blessed to be where we at now. We're we're, we're good friends, so. You know, but uh, it was a scary moment for me, man. And, you know, leaving San Diego as a young kid and never been away from, like, you know, from my hometown, far away, where if I did get in trouble, I knew my environment, where I was at. You know, I was in Florida. I was, you know, away from nobody. The only people that I did know when all this was happening was Daryl Dibby and Randy Milligan. That was it. You know, and they was the two guys that really stopped me from really you know, doing some damage to Lloyd McClendon and Daryl Strawberry. I can so. see, I can see a young Mitch, young Mitch, mm-hmm. a ball. Wow. Young Thundercat, man. Young Thundercat. <laughs> so 84, you make your debut. You're in the big leagues a little bit, mm-hmm. but 86 is where it, it, it all, it all starts for you. You're on that 86 yeah. Mets team. You're 24 years old. And you're playing all over the place. You're you're playing yeah. third. You got some games. How many? I, I think you played you played short that year. You played I the played outfield. More you played third shortstop. Base. Huh? More. I played more games at shortstop than I did anywhere on the field. So and and that's uh, yeah. So you're playing all over the place. You're you're on that you're on that '86 team. Davey Johnson's the skipper who. Uh, you and I played for in Cincinnati. Yeah. Fast forward a few years, you know, in 19, mm-hmm. 1993-94, uh, you yeah. got some characters on that team. You got Dykstra, Ray Knight, uh, Hernandez, mm-hmm. Doc Straw. Uh, man, and, and they're making documentaries about that team. What a year. Take me through that year a little bit. And and that's kind of technically your rookie year. Yeah, 84, well, 86. 86 was my rookie year, yeah, my full right. rookie year. 86, that's the World Series year. Take me yeah. through that. Man, I, I was just thankful. I mean, my first year when they sent me down from Big League Camp, I, I kind of went in, you know how they call you in the office and they tell you, hey, you know, they, your skipper want to see you, you know, they're about to send you down. So by me going in there, I was just playing with Davey at the time. And I went in there saying, if you cut me, I'll cut you. <laughs> and I had a knife. <laughs> but I was, just, I was just playing with him, you know. And it was just a, it was all a game, though. I still remember to this day what he, how he looked at me. But um, 86, it was just a blessing that they, they even – I never played all these positions – my whole career of playing baseball and all of a sudden now I'm playing all these positions on the field. That was the only way I could make the team. And, and I got to put, you know, give my thanks to Davey Johnson because he, he gave me the opportunity to go out there and, 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 and play positions that I never even played before. And I went out there and just, you know, it came natural to me. You know, I was just trying to give guys days off. And as a rookie, you just want to keep your mouth shut and just try to get in the door and hope the door shut behind you. Take me through that World Series. You know, everybody knows it's the you know the ground ball through through the legs of Buckner. What people forget in that in that series is they think that's the end. That's not the end. 
you still got to come back no. and win another game. Everybody just sees that clip and go, oh, that's how the World Series ended. No, that's that's no. how the world that's how you guys survive to play another day. You end up and usually when something like that happens, man, that that momentum just switches to your side real quick and you end up closing the deal. But uh <laughs> Take me through this because there's so many Kevin Mitchell uh, urban legend stories. Yeah, I hear them all the time. Yeah. And I laugh because I played with Mitch. And a lot of these things are just nonsense. But all right. Tell me about the pinch hit story. It's it's noted oh, yeah. every I time you do an interview. That, Pony. I, I knew yeah. you was going to get to that. Yeah, Pony, you know what? I, like I tell everybody now, you know, everybody got a gimmick. You know, Dennis Rodman wore dresses, you know, and as a young kid, you let the gimmick, you let the stories keep on going because, you know, what I'm saying it's all stories. I, like I tell people now to ask me that that same question, Booney, I say, how can I be as a rookie making my plane flights on the phone inside the locker room when, you know, as a rookie, we don't pay, we don't pay for our plane tickets. They do. To go home. The traveling secretary handles it. Uh, of course. We yeah. don't do that. And as a rookie, I don't got no money to be paying for my plane ticket to get back home. <laughs> so people got to understand that, man. It was just all a rumor. I was, how, how was I able to come up and pinch it and they come in the locker? I, of course I was in the locker room. In that situation, I never thought I was going to be pinch hitting against a right-handed pitcher because you got to understand that year 86 I was only playing against left-handed pitching that was it now I'm facing yeah. Calvin Sheraldi which was my ex-roommate and he always we was always roommates he always used to tell me how he would pitch me he said he started me off with a fastball in and that's all he would give me he'd throw me sliders for the rest of the day so he threw me the first pitch fastball in and I took it and I was like, man, this guy's throwing me the way he said he's gonna throw me. So I leaned over the box, over the batters, over the over the over the plate, and got a and, and hooked the slider. I was looking. If he would have threw me a fastball, he didn't knock me on my butt. So, but he didn't. Yeah, and that's and that's what people understand. It's like, and you make a good point because you say, you know, you were in that role in '86 where. You knew that you were only going to pinch hit against left-hander, and and everybody has the rules. Every team I've been on, the lefties that are that aren't playing, they know. You know, it's not like yeah. you get caught off guard. Hey, skipper wants you to hit. Now you know your role. You know who's hitting against the lefties. You know who's hitting against the righties. So yeah. so for you to get called in that situation, you know, I know that that's you know, and I'm not saying it never happens. Obviously, it happens. But for you to say, you know, I didn't expect to be hitting in that situation is is in the big league world and in the scheme of things and in that clubhouse. That's how it works, because you've been you've been on that team all year. You're in the World Series. You kind of know your you can almost feel when Davey's going to call your number. Of course, and you, you know when to get yourself together and get ready. You know, right. when, you, when your time is going to come. You know, I'm a rookie. I mean, you know, I, I give guys days off. I didn't. I, I started a few games here and there, but we had a we had super studs out on that team, man. You know, you if you got a a a a, a, a game a game to start, if you started a game, man, that was a rare thing, man, because hardly nobody got hurt on that on our team that year. You know. Yeah. And when guys needed days off, there's Mitch. He's got about 15 gloves. 
You know, thank God they didn't have me and never catch, and I was the third catcher. Because I, I remember the year I was trying to catch that spring training, I was trying to catch Doug Sis in the bullpen, and he let me have it. You know, he almost broke my thumb, bounced one off the plate, everything. So I was like, man, I don't need to be going out there catching no Doug Sis, him or Roger McDowell with that ball moving like that. <laughs> I can picture you. So, I want to see. I want to see Big Mitch with the gear on. I never got to see. You that. Know, I, I came along too late. Yeah, but you know what, Booney? You, you, you know, it was a joy watching you play and the intensity that you had for the game, man. It was just it, you don't see that no more, man. But nobody, you did it all, brother. You did it all, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the play. I even watched little kids play. I know your kids was playing baseball, man. I love being around the kids because as grown-ups, we can learn a lot from our, these kids. Oh, without a doubt. And, and I, yeah. I talk about that. Now, you know, a lot of guys uh, from our generation, our time in the big leagues, you know, we look at the current guys. Uh, it is a different game, like you said. And, and you talk about mm-hmm. you talk about that 86 Mets team and, and nobody ever took a day off. Never, nobody got hurt. It seems like in today's game, every, it's like at any given moment, we could go on the 10-day I.L., and, and that didn't happen mm-hmm. that much in our generation. You know, there's some no. things we could learn from, from the modern day game. You know, I've got a son playing an A-ball. Man, he's got a couple things that he does now. And, and you know, just things he puts into his repertoire of, of getting ready for a game. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have known that. But, but at the same time, I tell him, but look in the generations behind you. You can learn a lot from them, too. I always talk oh, about course. the game and, and how we need – you know, there there is a right mix. Generations will come and go. We'll all be judged. History will judge us all, which generations were great, which weren't. But you always got to keep learning. And I and I think you bring up a good point with kids is, man, it, it's it's cool to watch young kids, especially those young kids with a twinkle in their eye. And baseball's their passion. Hey, I love it, man. I love it. It's, and you know what? It is a cool and thing. We, yeah. As we played this game, you know what I'm saying? As we played this game so long. We go out here and watch these kids. We can tell who got talent and who can't, you know, because I tell my kids now, if you got a lot of swagger, you're going to be around this game for a long time. I think swagger is so much fun. I love to see the kids with all the confidence in the world, man, and I can see it in their eyes. Man, that's when you know you got you got some talent right here. You know, yeah. you got some talent. Not scared to talk to people, speak out. I love that. Every kid that I, all the kids that I work with now, before I got hurt, I tell them, don't come to me shy, because I don't like a shy person. I want you to speak up. If I do anything wrong, let me know what I'm doing wrong too. So, and and it was a joy to see you and Hoffman out there working with your kids that one time when I saw y'all. Man, that was a blessing, man. I, you know, I wish I had a son in life, man. You know, he'd probably be out there playing right now, too, just like y'all's kids. And it's a joy to see you, Jesse Roscoe, all the, the guys that we grew up with, their sons playing in the big leagues and all these guys, man. That is so funny. It's amazing. We're getting old, Mitch. We're getting old. All these, all these kids on, and guys man. we played with and against, <laughs> they're playing in the big leagues. We're yeah. going, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tell people right now, you just it just get greater later. That's all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so after '86, you get traded to the to the Padres. Now I got an, I never had a chance to play in a hometown. Well, I grew up in Jersey, and then you know Southern Cal for high school and college, but I never got to play in a hometown. What was that yeah. like for you with the life and the rough. childhood? You 
you had in San Diego coming back to the pot. First of all, how many tickets you leaving every night? Well, you, you know me, Boney. I'm real strict about stuff. If I don't, if I if I don't feel that you, you know, I left tickets some games. I mean, there'd be a hundred tickets, man. Everybody sitting in left field, you know. But sometimes, you know, you get kind of fed up with it. And I know it's been a lot of rumors going around that I should, I didn't play well because I was in my hometown. That wasn't the question. I just didn't enjoy playing for Larry Ball. That was it. I didn't. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't enjoy it. You know, I said, we're all men. We're all men too. We got kids. I mean, I got, we got, we got a guy hollering at us like we're little kids. I know we're not little kids, man. We're grown men. You understand? And it, it respect is respect. You know, game recognize game. So don't treat us like little kids. Talk to us as men. You know, we understand this game, but not him. He wasn't the type of person for me, man. You know, there was going to be a big problem if I would have stayed there any longer. So I was thankful to get traded at the time that I did get traded, two and a half months later. You got traded to the Giants. They're in a a pennant race. And the thing is about 87, you end up having a pretty good year. I mean, you're coming off 86 World Series where you're kind of getting your feet wet. Like you said, you didn't know where you were playing on each given day. You 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 knew kind of when you were going to pinch hit when you weren't. But you go from that, you hit 280 with 22 homers. So 87 for Mitch, that wasn't a bad year coming out. You go to the Giants, 88, mm-hmm. you hit 250 with 19 homers, but then it really kicks in for you in 89, obviously. That's that's the big year, that huge year for you. You're the National League MVP. You hit 47 jacks, 125 ribbies. You lead the league in homers and ribbies. So you're one short of the triple crown. Uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me about those years in San Francisco. I know Roger Craig's your skipper. I know Willie Mays is around and I think Willie, you know, doing my homework for, for this podcast, uh, I read a little bit that Willie Mays had, had a little bit uh, uh, of an impact in your life. Talk about that year, uh, in 89 in San Francisco. Yeah, he's, I mean, Willie's still got an impact in my life, man. I at least talk to him once a week you know, to make sure he's all right, you know, and uh, still trying to get me up in San Francisco, you know, every time. But, you know, since we had this pandemic going on, man, I'm just kind of scared to do anything right now, you know. So even now, you know, even though they open up stuff. But uh, uh, it was a blessing for me, man, you know, who was a big, big influence for me when I got over to San Francisco was Dusty Baker. Dusty took me under his wing, man. And, uh that's why I still talk to him. That's Papa, man. I call him Papa. He checks on me at least uh, every four days he'll call me. Mitch, what you doing? And I know it's him because it's a block number every time. So uh, he said, I'm just checking on you. I was just sitting up here thinking about you. But Dusty is a he, – he, he, if I hit two home runs, man, Boney, it can be late at night. He's taking me in that cage. You know where the cages was, right? In Candlestick. Yep. Right when you walk in the door right there. People are leaving, and I'm still in the cage hitting with him. He said, I've seen the flaws in your swing. I said, Bake, I just hit two home runs today. Well, I've still seen some. we got to go in the cage at least, at least for an hour. I said, all right, Papa, we in there. Let's go. But he stayed on me, man. He, and and it, I was just thankful that I had somebody like that to stay on me. It was just like 
when I was with the Mets, I had Bill Robinson. May he rest in peace. Bill Robinson stayed on my case. He taught me how to hit lefties, you know, because as right-handed hitters, we don't see too many lefties. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, and he taught me how to hit the lefties. And you mentioned you so, mentioned but, Dusty. You mentioned Dusty. Huh? He's, you mentioned yeah. Dusty, and he's a guy. I'll tell you, Dusty's one of those guys. I, still to this day, you know how there's just certain guys out there, Mitch, that that uh, no one's ever said a bad thing about. You bring up Dusty Baker. I don't care who you bring him up to. If they know yeah. Dusty at all, have ever had an interaction with him, it's always positive what comes out of their their mouth next. Man, come on, man. I I, I had a. Huh? Go, ahead. Go ahead. I was listening. He and and for me, I don't know Dusty other than what's up, Dusty? How you doing? Hey, Booney, how you doing? I always had I don't know. I always had a fondness for him. And I always thought one day maybe I'll play for Dusty. I didn't know him, but but it seemed like we knew each other. It was weird. I would catch an eye going to BP Candlestick. Uh you know how we the visiting team we got to walk in and then we got to walk back to our our locker room in right in right field, yeah. and I always just had that just something about Dusty. He he made me feel like I knew him, but I didn't. <laughs> it was like that's it. Uh, it's like the guys that you meet at second base when they hit a double. Hey, Booney, what's going on? Uh, that's all I knew. Some players, and that's how I knew Dusty. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, it just and, seems like he's a that's he's how a his pretty, presence is, Booney. You know what I'm huh? saying? He's that type of person, man. I mean, he can make a player. You could be an average player, man. He's going to put it in your head that you're the greatest player on the ballpark and at the ballpark when you come to the field. You know what I'm saying? So that's how he was. He was a motivator, man. And, you know, he, and I, I I got so much respect for him, man, and love for him, man. It's just it's, it's, it's unbelievable, man. He just sent me two jerseys the other day you know, with Baker Jr. on the back. So, two Astro jerseys. So, I can't wear them until I, uh, I know that they're going to be in the playoffs. So <laughs> He's getting it done. They're going to they're gonna be in that division. I think they're going to win that division. So, tell me about that 89 season. You got you and the other half is Will Clark. Uh, and I always remember the thrill. that because the thrill. The thrill. Will the Thrill. We had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh you know, and that's that, that's my time. That's 89. I'm in college. I'm watching you guys. So I know before me and you met, long before me and you met, I knew who Big Mitch was. He's a four-hole hitter yeah. in San Fran, and I knew who Will the Thrill was. He's a guy that looks at you like he wants to wants to kill you. But I, I talked to that, Will all the, the time. That's the Noosler. That's the Noosler. Yeah, I said, Noose, you know, you gave me that look and you pretended like you were tough and you were going to take me out at second base. Well, I said, you know, you could you couldn't get me. Right. And you always tried and you always failed. And he kind of laughed yeah. about it. Now, I said, where'd that look come from? He goes, I don't know. I just wanted to be intense. And I think I forget who named him the loose. Was it was it Kruko? I Kruko. forgot who gave him Kruko. that name. Yeah. Yeah. Kruko. Uh-huh. And then Maddie, Maddie Williams ends up joining you guys later. And, and that's the a big Marine. Good, yeah, that's a pretty good three, four, five right there. That's the Bay Bridge year, your MVP season. Uh, talk me through that playoff series when the, uh, or I'm sorry, that World Series when that earthquake hit. Where were you? What'd you do? Uh, when the earthquake hit, Boney, I was actually you know running sprints on the line, and um, I actually got in the middle of the field, and I was talking to Tony Phillips, and. 
I didn't know what was going on because they was actually playing the song, We Will Rock You. You know, you know that song they play at the stadium, We Will Rock You. And, you know, everybody right. stamped their feet. So I was actually listening to that. And then I actually looked the right field and saw the people kind of in a panic. And then I kind of looked up in the, in, the, in the press boxes and I saw the TVs blinking off and on. So that's when it got to a really, because in the middle of the field, you couldn't really feel it. But you could see people starting to get real panicky and starting to move around real etchy and stuff. And I was like, what's going on? So I walked over and Willie was doing an interview right there. He said, Mitch, we just had an earthquake. The bridge just fell. And my first idea was to look for grandma, you know, because my grandparents was there. They actually got stuck in the elevator. So uh, I had to find them. But it was a scary moment. It was just uh, it was just real crazy. I think a lot of people after that, after that earthquake, uh, uh, we didn't have the type of players that the Oakland A's had, you know, as far as the their attitude, we came here for one thing to win. I know we have a we have a situation here with the earthquake, but they was able to come back and put it on us again, you know, after we did come back, man, and they still had that same attitude. I think a lot of our players was just, you know, thinking about family, friends, you know, whatever, you know, the people who got hurt in San Francisco and uh, you know, it was just a bad situation. They their mindset wasn't there at the game. So they blanked us out. So, but it was Tell just a that. scary moment for everybody. I, you know, you know, you want to tip your hat to the city of San Francisco, the way they did things, but you know, it, it, we wasn't there as a team. We wasn't there. So lighter, lighter moment. Tell me about the, the barehanded catch. I know you've been asked about it a million times. Still amazing to me. It's still one of the best highlights in Major League Baseball. And when they when they bring it back, I just got, I don't know what Mitch is thinking right there. I don't know how he caught it, and I don't know what he was thinking to throw his hand up. I, now, I'm not going to throw my glove up. I ain't going to reach back. I'm just going to throw this paw up and get it. You know, as a kid, you know how you played in the boys' clubs. Man, you know, we played woofer ball. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't have gloves. You know, I grew up in the – you know, William J. Oaks Boys Club, you know, in San Diego, you know, playing woofer ball, red ball, swimming. I did it all at the Boys Club, you know, and uh, it was just something that just happened. We were supposed to be bunching Ozzie Smith, and I think Kelly Downs threw him a split finger, and he ended up slicing it. And, you know, from left-handers' balls, I, I, I mean, I'm running hard to the corner, but the ball kept drifting, drifting, and then all of a sudden left-handers' ball is going to come back into play. By the time I stuck my head up there to look at the ball, it had already started coming back towards the fair line, towards the foul line. And the only thing I can do, I couldn't stick my glove over that far. You know, my chest is a little too thick right here. I just stuck my hand up, and it went right in my hand, Booney, to be honest with you. But I didn't realize what I had done. I know it probably didn't look graceful, but it got an out. I just couldn't wait to hit off John Tudor. I ended up hitting a home run, leading off the inning with a home run. I, I think it's it's cool though because it's it's just something. Yeah, it's not something you can premeditate. You can tell it's just something that happened. But then after yeah. it happens, then you see the relay. You could just kind of laugh and smile like that was a pretty good play. No, the, the the ultimate thing was Terry Kennedy. Terry Kennedy came when I got in the locker. When I got in the dugout, 
Terry Kennedy came up to me. I said, man, I got to grab my helmet and my bat. I'm going to hit. I'm finna hit. He said, Miss, do you realize what you just done? I said, it's an out, man. Let's go. It's an out. I'm sorry I did that. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to. It just happened. <laughs> I said, I want to hit. That's all I want to do is hit. Yep. I'm facing John Tuner. And, you know, Bill Robinson taught me how to hit John Tuner. I kind of, you know, ever since I was a rookie, I was hitting John Tuner. So I just couldn't wait to get up to the plate. But it was like, Miss, do you realize what you just done? And then Willie Mays called me. He said, I didn't teach you that. You can't teach I said, that. Willie, I said, Willie, it just happened, man. I'm, I didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't even know how to react when I did it. I was just walking back, you know, just, and the people in Seattle and, um, and St. Louis was giving me a standing ovation, clapping, and I was like, man. You know, so it was just – every that year, everything was just going too well, man. It was just going good. You know, I trained that year real hard, man, and, it, and uh, I was just thankful to be in the right spots at the right time, man, to play with players that I played with on that team, man. It was just awesome to be around, you know, just great players, man. And uh, I got to really give it to the fans because the, the fans in San Francisco is the, is the, is the greatest, man. They They – if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be the players that we are now. You know what I'm saying? So it was just a thankful thing. 1990, you follow that MVP up, uh, MVP year up with another great year. You had 290, 35, 93. 91, you had 27 jacks. And after 91, you're off to the Mariners. Yeah. 92. Yeah. yeah. All right. Tell me about that. First year. That's where I well, that's where I got to meet you. I got called up in August, but mm-hmm. uh, you're playing for that Mariner team. Tell me about that. The Mariners team, or before I got traded? No. Tell me. Tell me about what it was like for you going through your, your San Francisco. You're kind of you're known now. You win the you win the MVP in San well, Francisco. I didn't want. How was that? How was that leaving? It was hard, Boney. I didn't want to leave. But uh, I, I can, I've, I've never criticized nobody in my life, man, even though a guy would talk about me, our general manager. I, I, ne- I never criticized nobody, you know. And, people, and I know Al Rosen, he didn't like me because he felt I had an attitude. But the same way, treat us like men and we're going to treat you the same way. You know, this man, because you had two open heart surgeries or three open heart surgeries, you took all the food out of the, out of the, uh, out of the lunchroom because you had an open heart surgery. So the only way I would, I would piss him off is I, on day games, I bought like 24 boxes of donuts, <laughs> you know, and bring them to the ballpark, you know, and then, you know, it just, it just got weird over there because they would send Dusty to come and ask me, questions you know what i'm saying they'd send dusty to come ask me questions i said that's why they keep sending you to relay messages to me are they scared of me it's nothing to be scared of me it's just you know we're grown men man and that's all i want to be treated is like a man i'm gonna give you my heart if you treat me right i'm gonna treat you right you know i wasn't brought up in that type of way you know the game's been good to me all money ain't good money you know what i'm saying so but um then i went to, i got traded at five o'clock in the morning to Seattle. I got a phone call at my house at five in the morning from Bob Leary. No, Bob, not Bob Leary. Whoever the general manager, whoever was assistant to Al Rosen, he called me. 
I called him Scarface, but I don't know who he is. I don't remember. And um, I got traded at five in the morning. I said, you you, you couldn't wait to the to, uh, next the next day to call me. You're going to call me at five in the morning. I said, okay, you handle your business, man. It's business. I got, I'm gone. Went over to Seattle and that's how I got to meet the legend, Brad Boom. You know, so. <laughs> and, um, in, in, in its rarest of forms. Yeah, I remember that. 92. Yeah, that's it. And, that Mariner and, and, team and wasn't very good that year. Huh? That Mariner team didn't do very well that year, 92. No, they didn't. No, we, we didn't. I, I, you know what I think it was, though? To be honest, Plumber. Nobody didn't want to play for him. I knew you were going to say that. I remember. <laughs> well, you can tell. You can tell some of the stories, but I can tell. You know, don't, don't when say you come about up the and, basket with all the shoes in it. <laughs> but you always you you were talking about your rookie year in New York, and you're just trying to play well. And you're you know when you come up, I had high expectations put on me. You know this and that, and I you know I had a chip on my shoulder, and I, I was just up there, Mitch, just trying to survive and going, all right, I've done it. I did everything I needed to do in the minor leagues. Now I'm in the big leagues, mm-hmm. and I just want to—I just want to swing hard, and I want to get hits, and I want to prove to these guys. So, I didn't have the same eyes on the situation as you did as a veteran player. You know how it is—the veteran versus rookie. As a rookie, you just yeah. speak when you're spoken to. You play hard, and, and you're kind of oblivious to everything that's going around you because you're just worried about you got to do good to stay in the big leagues. So I didn't really have that that view that you guys did of. Uh, you know, of, of what was going on from the manager on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucky you didn't, and you just focused on what you had to do because there was just too much mess going on with him. And, uh, you know, he was mad at the world, man, you know, so. But I'll tell you a story, too. When I was playing independent ball, trying to come back, I was playing for Hackman over in Sonoma before I started managing. And... uh Plummer was coaching another team. So what he would do, he he did one game. He walked his he walked the third hitter in front of me just to get to me and load the bases up. Just to try to mess with my head. And the first pitch I hit a grand slam, so I came around the bags and just pointed at him. So you know better than that. So Is this two is this two thousand? 2000, uh, he was with uh, one of the teams there in, independently. Charlie Kirkfield was had, uh, had uh, he had, uh, was the Chico State, and I was in Sonoma. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was independent ball. Me and my little cousin Keith was playing for the hack. Curtis I, remember, I remember Keith. Keith came, uh, I played against Keith uh, when I was in the minor leagues in like 90, 91. Keith yeah. Mitchell. I remember him well. Yeah. yeah. He was one of the he so. was one of the only minor league kids at that time that had high tops. That's how I remember yeah. Keith Mitchell. <laughs> yes, you're I right. You're, you're, all, you're right. You're setting him down to you. Yep. So all right. So after that a, Mariners ninety two, you go to the Reds. Couple big years coming up. Mitch, why mm-hmm. do you think you, you think did Davey had something to do with that from from his experience, him having you over with the Mets? Do you think he had a no. part in, in bringing you back no. to Cincy or just no. it happened, how it happened? No, no. I, you know what? I, I never got to play for Lou Pinella. You understand what okay. I'm saying? Right. I see Lou Pinella in, 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 in uh, Cooperstown two years ago. The, the year uh, Edgar Martinez was getting uh, uh, inducted. Right. 
and Lou was in the room right next to me. So me and Lou went outside, you know, Lou, so I, this, this, I, I never knew the man in my life. I never got to talk to Lou. We sat down in a chair in front of our rooms, man. It was hot. It was probably 150 in, 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 the, in, in Cooperstown. We both had our shirts off. We sitting in front of the doors. And we, he's smoking a cigar. And he was like, Mitch, I wish I would have had you five years, at least five years. I said, Lou, I got traded when you came over there. He said, yeah, I know. I did that. I, I, I went for Charlton. Right. It was Storm Carlton there. or Charlton? Charlton. Char- the left-handed Charlton. Ch- Charlton, yeah. Norm. I wanted Charlton over there with me, and the only way that Reds wanted you. So I said, yeah. oh, that's what happened. He said, it wasn't nothing personal, Mitch. He said, I'm sitting here talking, and I'm chopping it up with you. He said, you know what? I like you. You real. I said, I've always been like that, Lou. I said, I, said, I, said, I wish I could have played for you because sitting here talking to you, you are a real person. You're so down to earth. But everybody looks at him as he's intimidating, you know. And then we, we just sat there and talked it up, man, and we talked about how he didn't get to see me before I left to got, when I got traded from Seattle and he came to Seattle and I went to uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, but Lou, Lou was – I never got to – I, I would have never got to play with you over there again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, You Lou, was right next door. To you. We was locker mates. That's right. Lou was I'll even, tell you, Lou, even when Lou I got this. into that fight with Davey Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> that is <laughs> there's so many. You though. remember there's that? So I walked many. in the dugout. I walked in the clubhouse just getting off the airplane. I remember I was hurt that year. I was hurt, you know, I had that sesamoid taken out of my foot from fouling off balls off the left handed slider. And they took that sesamoid out. And, you know, I was on the 60 day and I just came home. Remember when Davey said, hey, I don't know where he's at. He's AWOL. But he was the one who let me go home. Remember, Ray went upstairs and told Marge. You know, Davey let him go home. But I walked in that, that training room and it went all bad then. Remember that? I do. I do. It and, went all and, bad. And when you and talk I, about Lou and, and you, you were saying – you wish you would have got to play for him. I played for him in 93, okay, when you went over uh-huh. to the Reds. And, man, we went – you should have seen this, Mitch. I mean, me and him were going at it. I mean, once a week in his in his uh, his office. And I'm yelling at him, and he's yelling at me, and we're going back and forth. I said, Lou, you know what? You just leave me the you know alone and just let mm-hmm. me play every day and get out of my way. And at the end of this year – Trade me if you don't want me, Mark. Fair enough, fair enough. 93, second half. I have a real big – I have a big second half. And he called me into his office at the end of the year, and we became like buddies. Next thing you know, yeah. I get traded to the Reds. And once again, I didn't take it personal because I knew that me and Lou weren't cool, but then we were cool. And when I ended up coming back and playing for him in the early 2000s, uh, now, you know, I got, I got to play for some really good managers, but – when it's all said and done, Lou is my favorite manager of all time. You talk about him being a real man. First He's a guy, player. if he respected you as a man and as a player, that guy will run through a wall for you. 
But if he doesn't because respect he, you as yeah. a man and as a player, he will pound you into the ground. And I saw a lot of players uh, became victims of, of Lou. But I'll tell you, the real men that played, and, and man, they love Lou like no other. They'd do anything for him. And, and he oh, was just no that question. type of guy. There was no middle no of the road question. with Lou. Yeah. But see, you know, as a little kid, as you get brought up, if a if a if a if a if a coach or a manager didn't stay on your bumper and didn't say two words to you, that means he don't like you. But when they stay on you and cuss you and everything else, they see something in you. You understand? Yeah. They see yeah, something in you. So don't take it personal. He's trying to bring the best out of you. Right. And and but you know, you know? as a kid, you don't always see it that way, right? As you get uh-huh. a little experience and you move on through life, you see that in, in but but as a kid, you just take it so personal. Like he can't stand me because he because he's on me every single day. And and uh-huh. you're right. It's it's quite the contrary. Yeah, yeah. Don't have, and I try to tell my kids now that some kids that I work with don't take nothing personal because it's not as you little as you get older. It's not going to get no easier. It's going to get harder with these coaches. With these coaches, especially coaches that like you, that see the talent in you. You know what I'm saying? So it's not going to, you're going to, you're just got to suck it up and, and, and use. My daddy always told me, Kevin, quit going out there fighting and take, take that, take that temperamental and all that aggression out on that little white ball. So he always used to tell me, you know, yeah, it's, and, it's, it's right. And, and I, yeah. when I talk to my kids now, I try to tell my kids, don't make the same mistakes that I made. That's what I'm here for. Call me. If you need to call me, I'm here for you. Don't, don't, don't. I, I'm trying to get them where they won't do the same mistakes that I came up and did, you know, because there was a lot of them there, Booney. There was a lot of mistakes there. I wish I could turn back the clock and start all over, you know, so, but I'm, I'm blessed though, bro. I am blessed. 94, we had a pretty good team. You had 326, oh, 30 now. jacks, 77, strike shortened. Uh-huh, yeah. You think we, you think we were good enough? You think we were, you think we were good enough that year? Oh, my God, man. We was All of us was raking. Yeah, all start to finish. Wire to wire, first place. They cut it short. And I love me some Hal Morris, man. Halbert, I still talk yeah. to Joe Oliver on Facebook. Do you? Yeah. Oh, Joe, yeah, him and his famous kids. You know, he I always posting up something. You know, oh, Joe. That was a good team. Yeah, I miss those guys. I had a lot of fun with y'all. You know, I had a lot of fun. A lot of fun, man. That was some fun years, fun time. You know, even though, you know, we didn't finish that year, that 94 year, man, I think we would have done something, man, because we had the type of team. We had everything, man. We had everything. We even have pictures that can hit. You got a Marge story for me? Mark Latan? No, Marge shot. <laughs> oh, Marge. Marge. Oh, Marge always. Was you there the year she came out all the way to the outfield? And she put, she said, Kevin, we need you to win a game for us. And I was like, why is Marge walking out here with the dog? And I was like, man. And then she, uh, when I went up to the plate that day, before right when the game started, she had cut some of Shotzi's hair off and put it around my pine tar. So when I went to the plate, I got a bunch of fur all over my gloves. <laughs> and I said, why did she do that? And then, remember, we couldn't have no facial hair at the time, remember? Right. Wasn't no facial hair. 
And I put the black marker, put a gold tee when I went out on deck. I put a black marker down. And she sent a shaving kit down to tell Kevin he needs to shave right now. I said, Mars, didn't I look kind of intimidating with that, with that gold tee? <laughs> she said, you shaved that off. But I had no problem with her, though, man. You know what? She showed my grandparents them a great time, man. I respected the lady, even though, you know, there was a lot of bunch of stuff going on. But, you know, if you let stuff bother you, it's going to bother you. If you don't, you don't, you know. My whole thing is this lady signing our checks. Who cares? You know, I'm going to come out here and play. You know, I'm going to come out here and play. So 94 strike shortened. Yes. You end up going to Japan. You end up going to Japan. Japan, Highest paid player ever. It ends up getting cut short. Uh, Walk me through that experience a little bit. Well, you know, I I, I wasn't done playing baseball. I was ready to still go play, man. I ended up going to Japan. I ended up getting hurt. And what I tell everybody now to go to, to Japan now, I said, make sure you got an interpreter that's on your side because he, they're not, they're not. I think when you go to Japan, they need more American, uh, American people that speaks Japanese or whatever to interpret with you that, that that's going to be on your side. Because I had a guy named Shan that was, I tell him to tell the owners them this and he tell them something else. And I didn't know what they were saying. But, you know, me, Kevin Romine, and when I was over there, I was over there with Kevin Romine and Bobby Thigpen. And Bobby Thigpen got hurt, and they uh, they made him stay there and everything. And then I was talking to Peter Incovilla. Incovilla wasn't even playing the year I was over there. He just said he'd come on the road and lift weights. He said, I'm going to keep looking good. They ain't going to let me go home. I'm just going to keep lifting weights and get big, get ready for the States. <laughs> <laughs> so... But it was an experience for me, man. I just think it's it's kind of hard when you're away from home like that and you got paparazzis all in the bushes. I had them all in the bushes. I was chasing people from the Hawkstown, throwing my Louis Vuitton wallet at them because they was taking pictures under tables and stuff at me eating and stuff, man. I was I just kind of got to I couldn't leave my house. I got kind of fed up, man, you know, and it was just getting real frustrating, you know, so, but. They was waiting for you to, to do something wrong. And then they gave me a car with the steering wheel on the other side. I kept driving on the sidewalk. So <laughs> give me a bicycle. Give me a bicycle. <laughs> with the steering wheel on the other side. Yeah, That's the where they the drive side. over there. They gave, me a, they gave me a little green car. That car sat in my driveway all year, man, after I tried to drive it. Man, I was on the sidewalk and everything. And then they, then they got this little fine lettering in your contract. You get into an accident or anything, you void your contract. Yep. I said, now nah, y'all just give me a bike. Give me a bicycle. They gave me a girl's bicycle with a basket on it. I go to the store. I said, nah, I can't do this, man. I said something else. And I was over there alone, man. I just felt like I was just, you know, I was lost. I was really lost, man. Really lost. Everywhere I went, every city I went to, they wanted to see my tattoos. Wanted me to take my shirt off where they can take pictures of my tattoos. And I was like, man, this is, this is, I don't know. I must be a show, uh, a, a clown or something, man. They want to take pictures of my tattoos. 
and all kind of stuff. But I, I tip my hat to Julio Franco because he stayed over there forever. And now my my boy that I, I raised up, Adam Jones, he over there now. So, so uh, man, I just, I don't know, man. I just, you know, like I said, the game was good, man. But, you know, I'm, we old men now, man, you know. I try not to do anything, you know. I, I love what I'm doing now, playing a lot of golf and riding the motorcycles. So you come back to the States. Uh, you spend some time with Boston, back to Cincy, uh, Cleveland, and you finish up with Oakland. Mm-hmm. You, met, you mentioned earlier in the program you played indie ball. I want to know what happened. You get in a fight in indie ball, Mitch? And where is that? I don't know. You got suspended for in nine Cle- games. <laughs> in Cleveland? In Cleveland? No, in, Son- in Sonoma Crushers. Oh, you talk, did I get into a fight in Sonoma? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. I, I, you know, I, I did get into a fight. I got into a fight <laughs> with the owner, Plummer. Yeah. Oh, I got into a fight with the owner, Plummer. Yeah, uh, owner for Solano. Uh, I don't. I didn't know the man, but uh, one of their players had hit me, and uh, after I hit a home run off him in the first inning, and Curtis Goodwin, remember him? I remember him. Curtis Goodwin told the pitcher to hit me. He was playing with Solano at that time, him and Eddie Williams. Curtis Goodwin. Yeah, and, I think he played the outfield for the Reds at some yeah, point in my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart mouth, smart mouth. So I, I, I rushed him out, <laughs> did what I had to do. This guy comes out of the stands with a, a stick-on badge, you know, those little stick-on badges. Did you just tear the back off or you stick it on your clothes? Uh-huh. And he's calling me all kind of, you know, bad words. And his hair is all messed up and he's drunk. So he, and when he, he said something else to me, I said, well, let's see what type of man you are. I walked out to him. He pushed me. I laid him out. And that was the owner? That was the owner for Solano. <laughs> Porter. Porter. <laughs> Yeah. So Dusty wrote in the paper, they asked Dusty about it. Dusty said they must have said something to him that kind of pissed him off, which he put it, you know, which he did. You know, he should have never came out of the stance onto the field and came right in our dugout and talking crazy to me. First, you remember Charlie Pope, don't you? Mm-hmm. Charlie Pope went, went after him first. So, and that, it went all bad from there. And then, the fans got involved, and two guys wanted to fight me from the fans, and I told them to take two seconds of courage. That's all they did. That's all you need. Police wanted to give me an escort. I don't need no escort. Mm-mm. I don't need no escort. I walk myself out of here. So that's how I went all bad, you know, from there. And then when we went back there, they started making shirts. So they had Porter had made shirts with my picture on them and stuff with a a hang leash on them and stuff like that. Hang loose. I wasn't paying attention to that, man. He's drunk. So it just, it was just something that just happened, man. You know, just, you know, I'm thinking he's somebody out the stands that just came down just to give me grief because of the team fight. So, but, you know, I ended up managing, managing from there. 
Fast forward a little bit. Um, 2008 comes. You're one of the first first class that gets put on the wall of fame. How was that getting that call from the Giants? Cool? Oh, man. That's, man, it, that is a lovely thing, man. Even when I get friends and family that goes look at the stadium, that's the first thing they're taking pictures of and sending it to me. <laughs> man. I, you know, I never had no pinup like that. You know, that's that. I, I'm thankful for the Giants, man. They, they, they always got me doing a lot of stuff, man. When they want me to come up all the time, they first class, man, first class. I tell you, very first class. You know, they've been trying to get me to work there for the longest, and uh, since I've been hurt, I just ain't really had the patience and the. Uh, I got to get myself healthy before I can do anything. You know, as a hidden guy and uh, working in the minor league, they try to get me to do Comcast. Now, I just don't feel like walking around like that. So. Your entire big league career or minor league career, who are some of your favorite teammates? My favorite teammates in the big leagues, one of them is Matt Williams. This guy named Brad Boone. It was just a joy playing with him, like I told you. Uh, who else was a, a a real good friend, close? Eric Davis. You know, even when I was hurt and I was paralyzed for four and a half years, Eric Davis was the guy calling me once a week, checking on me. So, you know, and, and like I tell everybody to this day, Booney, anybody that played in MLB is a friend. That's one thing you'll never get me to do is, is, is downgrade the players that I played against and played with. I see all these guys writing books about each other, and especially with the Mets, and, they, and that's all they do is talk about each other. And these, we had to live with each, with each other for years. And they sit up there and talk about the players that they played with. You could never get me to do that. No matter if I had something against them or I have something for them. You know what I'm saying? I can't never do that. I enjoyed everybody. Anybody that can play this game is awesome. Yeah, there's something to be said. We walk into that locker room, big league locker room. It doesn't matter even the big league locker room. Locker room's a locker room. And and nothing ever leaves that locker room. And and it doesn't matter how many years go by. There's players, there's personalities, there's families, there's wives, there's children. Uh and, and yeah, you're right. When when somebody comes out and starts you know, write a book, whatever, if it's about the game of baseball, how to play. Yeah. But when it starts being a book about stories and outing other people, there, there's a first, yeah, the, the level of respect right there is just, is just negated. Yeah. Come on, man. You can't do that, man. That's, per- no. you know, especially when you get personal stuff involved, man. You ain't nobody want to hear about nobody else's wife, kids or whatever. Man, you know, just like me and Lenny Harris, the one year we got into, remember in, in, in Plant City? Oh, you, I remember you, that. There? You, oh, you do remember that because you're the one who grabbed me. I grabbed you. I jumped on your back. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. You grabbed me. Don't bring, don't bring my woman into the clubhouse, man. That's, that's a cardinal sin. You don't do that, man. You don't do that. Mm-mm. And then call me Ronnie Gant. Come on, man. You don't do that. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't bother you. You know. 
All I asked Dusty and them did when they put me in that office is let me and him go out in the parking lot and finish this. Because they asked me, what do you want to do with him? We're not going to let you go. What do you want us to do with you? I said, well, just let us go in the parking lot and finish this. So, but, you know, I, I would never do that. I don't bring nobody else's family and friends or whatever into, into the ballpark, man. You don't do that, man. You want to talk about me in baseball or talk about something in baseball? That's cool in the game. But when you start bringing, you know, girlfriends, wives, or whatever in, into the into the game, man, and I had nothing to do with it, then, then something's got to happen. You know? You got to get punished. So, I mean, Coop, I love Coop, man. I just talked to him the other day, Lenny Harris. Yeah. Coaching double A with the Reds. You know, I just talked to him. Part of the stunt squad in Cincinnati. Yeah. Him and, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah. Jerome Walton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thomas oh, Howard. Jerome. They were, they were the stunt squad. They over yeah. there too? No, no. They were over there then. Thomas Howard. Oh. Jer- Jerome yeah, Walton. The, yeah. Yeah. Jerome Walton. Yeah. Lenny Harris. Yeah. Toughest, toughest pitcher. Toughest guys you faced. Who were tough on Kevin Mitchell? Who are the guys you didn't like? Oh man, that you guy's know, got my you know, He's on the back of one of my baseball cards. Kevin Gross. Kevin Gross. I remember that he was when he was with the Dodgers. I remember Daryl Kyle. You didn't like facing. Oh, oh man, God! You bringing a, a blast from the past now. Yeah, yep, I didn't like facing them either, man. Those two guys, man. I just I don't know what it was. When they can get me three and zero. I remember when Kevin Gross told me in Fort Myers one day, I just signed with the Boston Red Sox, and he was pitching in spring training. And I was just in my street clothes. I had just got there, and uh, Boston had just signed me. And uh, he looked over in the dugout. He said, Mitch, I'm only going five innings. You can come in after that. I told uh, <laughs> Kevin Kennedy, I said, put me in the game. I can be three balls and no strikes on this guy, and I'm making out. Oh, he just was in my head, man. I don't know how. Man, he's probably the only guy that ever got in my head with that, man. That's all said and done. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Finish. I think when I was a rookie with the Mets and I faced Kevin Gross when he was with the Phillies, and they used to tell me he cheated a lot. So that always stuck in my head. And there's certain guys that they just – there's no rhyme or reason. You know who a guy that I I mean one of my one of my good buddies and I loved him as a teammate. His name was Dave Burba. I couldn't get a hit I, off I, Dave Burba. I couldn't get a hit Burba. off him. Big talk. Huh? Big talk. Big tall Dave Burba. Play with the Reds. Big, yeah, I couldn't get a hit. I couldn't get hit even late even late in his career. I mean, the bats are flying out of the rack. I come to the plate. Burbs just looks at me with a smirk. Like, Booney, you ain't, you ain't getting a hit. And, and it's like, right, it's like they get in your head. And it's like, come on, Burbs, yeah. you got no business getting me out with the stuff you got right now. But he did. He got me out every time. I think I got one hit in my career off Dave Burba. I said, man, I, I had one hit off of Kevin Gross. I was one for 30. One for 30. It's on the back of my baseball car. Then I, I ended up talking to Biggio and Bagwell. They said they couldn't hit him either. 
<laughs> I was like, man, so, this guy, I don't, don't know what know. it is about this guy, man, but, you know, I, I just you couldn't figure him out, man. And he knew it, too. He said, Miss, just come on in the game after I come out. I'm only going five today. <laughs> <laughs> when it's said, all said man, and I'll... done, when it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Just being 100. That's all. Being me. That's it. I was real. You know, that's all I want to be remembered at, man. The game was good, like I told you. I enjoyed it. I loved it, man. I loved all the guys I was around, man. And that was it, man. Just, you know, and I'm thankful that I can still talk to players that still played in our era too. You know what I'm saying? So I still talk to a bunch of guys, Andre Dawson. I still talk to Dawson, Sheffield. I still talk to all the guys, Doc Gooden, Straw, Lenny Dykstrom. I can't understand. So. (laughs) <laughs> he just called me day for yesterday. I can't understand him. I said, Lenny, get somebody in here. I said, when you call, call me another day, call me with somebody that can interpret you, you, the way you talk to me. I don't know how you, I don't know what you're saying, man. You got your teeth in? <laughs> man. <laughs> I can't understand one word he's saying, man. He called me world, world. Perfect cut. I said, man, come on, man. What do you, what, what's going on, man? Man, you need to call me and get me get an interpreter, man. It, it, then you call me back. But I, I enjoy talking to everybody, man. You know, just people that want to talk. A lot of people don't change, you know, Booney. A lot of guys we grew up with, man. People don't change. They're not the same person that they was. You know, guys that's work, that's that's got jobs. You know, they different. You know, they they act like they're too good. You know, I just don't like that, man. I'm not going to say no names, but they know who they are. You know, it's just like when we saw each other down in uh, Santee that one day, man, you know, it was just good. And Hoffman, you know, you, you, he's a Hall of Famer, bro. And he's, he's just so humble and still talk to people, get his drink on, man, and be happy, you know, just the same old guy. Trevor's, he's good people. He's a good man. Yeah, man. You know, another guy is Jesse Roscoe, Gary Templeton. I see those guys playing golf. Uh, who else would be out there? Oh, David Justice. I see, I talked to David, man. Me and David, when the Braves was playing in the playoffs last year, when me and David was on Facebook interpreting everything. We was podcasting everything. I was going for <laughs> the other team. He was going for the Braves. So... But uh, we was live on each each other's page, so. But uh, cool. just guys that keep it one hundred, man, it ain't changed at all, man. Still the same person. That's what I enjoy, man. You know, don't change up on a person, man, because you don't think you're better than anybody else. You know, be yourself. You know, and have fun about it, man. We got to be nice to each other. You know, we've been around this this thing too long. We all got kids. They're all grown now. So, you know, just like me, I, I, I deal with, with players all the time. I play golf with Sugar Ray Leonard's son. He lives up here. And I play golf with Marcus Allen's brothers, Michael and Damian Allen, every weekend. We all play a skins game. And they just as real as they want to be. 
and Marcus is on. We got our own little Facebook thing, you know, MA and KM all day, golfing with friends. So we get on there and we joke around, say who won all the money in the pot, stuff like that. Very cool. But it's, yeah, man, we we just try to keep it 100 with everybody. Man, we all old men, man. And ain't, ain't nobody that I know that don't have no gray on their face, man. You know, we all looking like Santa Claus. So. <laughs> I try well, to Kevin Mitchell. Smooth. Yes, sir. It- it has been a pleasure. It's been great catching up with you. Great teammate. Uh, great player. And uh, this was awesome. And and what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end, we bring in the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, for a question from the fans. Dano? Kevin, how are you? Danny, how you doing, baby? Long time no chat. All right, here we go. Eddie from good old St. Louis wants to know this. Tell us about playing at Candlestick Park and how cold was it? Well, you know what? It wasn't cold to me because what I do in the, when I come to Candlestick Park, I put the baby oil on me and all the hot. You remember that red capsuling stuff, Booney? Yes. The hot capsuling. I put that all over me because, you know, I didn't like wearing sleeves. I felt like I was tied up in sleeves. And playing in Candlestick was... Uh, I remember when I first got traded there, we, we had played a game there with the Padres, and I said, man, I hope I never come play here no more. We went to Montreal, and I got traded back over there to Candlestick. So I had to learn how to play there, and Willie Mays always taught me how to hit the ball. Right center is a wind tunnel in Candlestick. You hit it to the right center, the ball's going to carry up out of there. Wow. So I had to learn how to hit the ball to right center, man. Candlestick, man, you know, it's, it was it, it it looked at cold by all the, the 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 trash and stuff flying around there and everything, but I don't think it was that cold. It, some days it get kind of chilly, but I didn't really feel it. It was just uh, something getting in the shower after trying to get all that capsuling off of you. You know, trying to get it off before you can go on home. You know, that stuff kept me warm the whole game. Gotcha. Well, Kevin Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Boom Podcast. We appreciate it. Oh, man, I appreciate y'all, man. You guys, thanks for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. And, Booney, it's always a pleasure with you, my man. You know, you're in my heart all the time, my man. And whatever you're doing, keep on doing your thing, man. I love it. Mailbag. All right, Booner, you know that sound. Mailbag time, Dad. Mailbag time, mofo. All right. This one comes from Brett. In San Jose, Brett with two T's. Brett, how come you only have one T in your first name? Did you ever ask your mom for the second one? No, I don't like the second one. It sets, you know, and actually I get really annoyed when you spell it with two T's. When I was playing, uh, everybody kind of knew I was Brett with one T. It seems like as I get farther and farther removed in, in retirement, uh, there's a lot more screw-ups with the two T's, but it, all the Bretts with one T out there, they know what I'm talking about. It's really annoying when you spell <laughs> it with two. All right. Back in the mailbag we go. Mailbag spelled with one G. All right, Brett, this one comes from Jaden in Texas, and he wants to know this. What do teams eat on a charter, especially if it's a happy flight after a win? Um, You're usually... 
depending on the the team I was with at the time, sometimes you're chartering, you know, with Delta. In, in Seattle, we had our own plane. It was Paul Allen's plane because uh, he owned the Seahawks, so we would lease that from him for the season. Usually there was three choices. They always, they always had the hamburger for, for uh, you know, for the guys that didn't like what was being presented that night. There's usually three choices. You know, it was a pasta dish, uh, a hamburger, or whatever the special was. Uh, for that night, but we were always taken. Uh, they took they took good care of us. All right, that sounds amazing. And know what else is amazing? This podcast. And we hope you enjoyed it. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director and producer of the Moon Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content is Liz Landry. Please share the Moon Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Moon Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the Moon Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.